welcome back to the OHIO podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Buckeye Boggs. That man over there is the wild man, Chris Wilds. That man down there is in the know, JR. And that man over there is Sergeant MVP, Aaron Brown. And the introductions are done. Hey, if you don't like our faces, good news. You don't have to watch us. You can listen to us wherever you get podcasts. We're literally everywhere you get podcasts. iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Gosh, I don't know if there's a podcast app somewhere out in space that astronauts can listen to. They could probably get their Buckeye news from us there as well. So if you don't like how we look, you can listen to us. We surely appreciate that. We are the official Ohio State podcast of Scarlet and Game. Go over to scarletandgame.com. Read a bunch of great articles about the Buckeyes, including uh, Ohio State's amazing basketball win today over number two Purdue. Go Deebs! Go Deebs! Jake Diebler, welcome, my friend. Hey, making, is Dylan in the house? Make, <laughs> yeah, where's he at? <laughs> making a statement to say, hey, you guys could might be might want to include me in this uh, uh, a head basketball candidate search here as he takes down the number two team number two team in his oh. first official day as head coach of the Ohio State men's basketball team. Um We've got a great show planned for you guys today. Um, we're going to get into some crazy stuff. So first <laughs> off, the let's, let me back up. If I sound, if my sound is any different or uh, the volume's too low, let me know. For the first time, I am not going straight through the laptop. I'm actually going through a soundboard. And the reason why that is the case is because of this right here we are officially going to launch the ohio podcast call-in show um we were talking about this and i think chris and i might actually do a test run this week with you guys we might actually do kind of a episode zero of the call-in show to see how it goes this week but the official date is thursday February 29th, Thursday, February 29th is the first official call-in show live. Uh, we're looking forward to that, and I can't wait, Chris. It's going to be wild. I think it's going to be yeah, wild, be especially great. if this guy shows up and calls in. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, business is about to pick up. Call denied. Coon comes in. Send him to voicemail. <laughs> I have things to say, he says. <laughs> oh man. Hey, I will I will say this. We're gonna get into a little bit of basketball, but it's gonna be more Gene Smith versus Steve Hellwagon slanted after the commercial break. Uh we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about that. Uh, because I just I got things to say about Gene Smith. Uh, Larry Daniels from rainy Florida is in the house. Oh, better to have rain than what we got this week. Oh my goodness. It's a little bit of snow, Eric. Come on. How many inches did you guys get? We got six and a half inches here in Delaware. Did you really? Yeah. Well, we only got a couple inches here in Marion. It was. We got five. We got five over here in Indiana. So I got half an inch down in Lucasville. (laughs) Wow. Got nothing. A dusting. Oh man. Not mad. Dylan, <laughs> Dylan's he's 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 a little sour tonight. Oh now you talk basketball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, we, we are a little bit tonight. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. We're, we're going to talk a little bit of basketball. All right, here's how this is going to go, guys. This is going to be a lot of fun. So, <clears throat> we have 10 official in-house assistant coaches now. The, the, it's the about staff time. Is set. Staff is set. We do this every single year. And for the first time, we're going to have four of us talk about this. And then what I'm going to do is while we give our rankings, I want you to give your rankings as well, guys. And, and we're going we're gonna to start at 10, work our way down to 1. And then we're going to do a consensus. We're going to do mine, Chris's, Aaron's, and JR's. And then we're going to do one for the chat. Um, so whoever the chat mentions the most for that ranking, we're going to add that as well. And then we're going to come up with a consensus of 10 through 1 on the assistant coaches. And I told I didn't give you guys any, like, how to rank them. You could do, like, most important to best to, you know, whatever criteria you want to use. For me personally, I take into account importance, recruiting, and player development. And I kind of look at those three things, and that's how I come up with the ranking in my head. Um, as I, and I throw experience in that as well. I think experience is important. So, so in the chat tonight, I want you guys to participate with this as well. We're going to start at number 10, work our way down to the number one ranked assistant in our mind. Uh, who wants to go first in this uh, little, uh, experiment tonight? I'll go first. All right. We'll just go Jr. Aaron, Chris, then me, and just go number 10. Who's number 10, your reason why, and then Aaron, you can jump in after JR gives his number 10. Right on. All right, number 10, Chip Kelly. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, number 10 for me is Keenan Bailey, a tight ends coach. I think he's an okay recruiter, but at the end of the day, he's not really done that much. And I don't know, he seems to me like he's one of those young guys that just like kind of tries to be friends with the players. And I don't really have any hard and fast evidence on that. And uh, so... Yeah, for me, there's been nothing spectacular he's done, so I'll go with Keenan Bailey at number 10. I went with, uh, I don't know how to say his last name, Uncultured Swine, uh, so I'll say Matty G. I think he's the Not new safety. <laughs> yeah, sure, dude. The <laughs> the new safeties coach, I believe he is, uh, and that's just because, to me, somewhat of an unproven commodity. All right, All right for me, uh, I actually uh, kind of uh, went and I agreed with uh, – JR there, I had went with Keenan Bailey. And the big thing is, I think he's got a lot of potential. But at this point, I think he's still unproven. Uh, he's a young guy, not very much experience yet. Uh, ask me again in a couple of years, and I may change it. But right now, I've got Keenan Bailey at number 10. <clears throat> number 10 for me is Justin Fry. Wow. Uh-huh. Um, when people are calling for you to be fired... There's a reason for that. Now, Ryan Day fired everybody we wanted to except for maybe Justin Fry. And I think Justin Fry has the most, out of all of these coaches on this list, has the most to prove this year. Now, I also believe that Justin Fry has a ton of potential of having a really good season for two reasons. Number one, almost the entire offensive line is returning. And that's important. You got one more year experience with everybody. Number two... A little birdie has told me that over at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center this week, uh, when Chip Kelly arrived, Chip Kelly took Ryan Day's playbook and said, this is good, but I can make it better. And Ryan Day said, please do. 
and Chip Kelly basically sat down with Justin Fry and said we're and uh, um, sat down with Justin Fry and Tony Alford and said it's we're going to run this football and I'm not afraid to use the triple option if we need to and there's there's rumors floating around that Ohio State might be running a little bit of triple option in the run game this year. Now, I say all that to say this. That's all sounds great and dandy, and I, I, if it works, awesome, fantastic. But if the offensive line doesn't block, I don't give a rat's butt what we're running, whether we're running triple option, whether we're eye formation, uh, whether we're in the pistol or in the shotgun, running read option. Like I, I don't care. If the offensive line doesn't learn how to make holds for these running backs, it's, not, it's for naught. So for me, Justin Fry is at number 10 with the caveat that he, by the end of the year, could be way up higher on this list. But you got to show me some. I'm, I'm like the Missouri, state of Missouri. Show me this year. I want to see it. Can we not say Missouri? Yeah, that was uh, – let's you not know what? go there. They kicked our butts, dude. So Yeah, but we don't have to celebrate it. Right. Now, the, well, let me ask you this, Eric. <clears throat> We might run triple option this season because Will Howard's able to. Right. Do we have a quarterback for 2025 that, that can do that? Because saying he's not a runner. Julian's saying. He's not a runner either. They both have enough athleticism to do it. I, Will, dude, we Will, broke Will, down those films. They're not Will, runners. Will Howard wasn't either. And then all of a sudden <sighs> he became one. The only thing I'll say about Will Howard is that one of the reasons <clears> why he can be a runner is because he has the body. To do it, Julian saying doesn't have the body, and Aaron Nolan, at least right n- right now, they don't have the body, like to be able to take those hit and withstand those. But the other so thing I is, I think saying, if they but... do run that triple option, it's more a change of pace or a goal line package. It's not something we're going to see on every play. No, it's so not, it's not something I think we have to worry about being it never, yeah, the key it, of the offense. The triple option never would be the emphasis of the offense given Ryan Day's playbook. I'm just I hope saying. Not that it chip kelly is not afraid to throw that wrinkle into the offense it sounds like and but so i think that's... if we get the triple option it'll be more of instead of like handoff run or pitch it'll be more like the run pass option where like yeah, it's gonna be an rpo know, it's gonna be an rpo and then if will howard decides to take it then he can dump it off to a you know a mecca buka or somebody like that so it's not like your traditional you know what navy runs <laughs> Right. Let me well, let but, me right. let me yeah. let me throw this little formation. Aaron, you're gonna love this. And by the way, in the chat, guys, let me know who number ten is. I need to know who you all think is the tenth best uh, coach. You've got in the backfield. You got Howard under center. In the backfield, you've got Junkins, and you've got Henderson. Okay. You send the tight end in motion to the other side of the line. When you snap the ball, you have one running back going that way. Fake handoff, Howard peels off, and you have the option going the other way. Oregon ran that a bunch when Chip Kelly was the head coach for the Ducks, and it was uber successful. I, I If they just had 10 plays off that formation with those two guys in the backfield, to me it's worth it. Aaron, do you agree? Under those circumstances, that would be worth it. You have those two running backs – you have those two running backs and then, you know, Jelani Thurman at tight end or whoever else we might have in there. Yeah, that that's uh, that's something worth looking at, I think. You're right. And you're right. I think now that I think about it, as long as it's not the crux of the offense, I think we'll be just fine. 
this is the, the little, little bit of Frank a little bit. It sounds like it might remind him a little bit of the package that Ryan Day had in the, in yeah. the red zone with Devin Brown. Yeah, it does. Similar. I, I don't, I, it, you know, but why make it just a red zone thing when you got two horses like that that you can exactly into the backfield? Like, right. I, every now and then bust it out. I think it would be uh, something for this, <clears throat> these defenses to look at and think about on film. All right. Bingo. So we. We only have only Jr. said Keenan Bailey. Aaron said Matt uh, Guerrero. Um, Chris has got Keenan Bailey. I've got Justin Fry. Jr. Number nine. Well, I was really close to going with Justin Fry at number nine, but just because he hasn't proven himself, and I think that Justin Fry has been more accomplished in his coaching career, I'm going to go with Matt Guerrero. Matt Gooey. Uh, see, I'm not the Matt only Gooey. one. Thank you, Jr. Rare. <laughs> well, it, it just you look at it. He's not. He's not proven. Like, and and I wanted to try and like give him credit for Caleb Downs, but let's be honest, that was Tim Walton. There was nothing Matt did. Right. Like Matt might have been, you know, along <laughs> along for the ride, but like, <laughs> you know, he was he navigation. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't land uh, Caleb Downs. That was Tim Walton. <clears throat> but I, I will say this, Matt was the def- uh, co-defensive coordinator at Indiana last year. So and Justin got Fry ex- was the offensive coordinator at UCLA, I think, when they had their really good run offense. He was. He was. You are cor- you're, yeah. That was my big thing. Touche. Yeah. Good call. <laughs> IU's defense sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, how good were they really? <laughs> but no, um, I did think of that, Eric, and I thought that was another piece. That was another reason why I had him above Keenan Bailey. Dre and Junkins got to find a 50-50 split along with getting the ball outside to Emeka and the rest of the wide receiver corp. Absolutely, Derek. Uh, I would agree with you 100% on that comment. Yeah. And in the future, there's going to be a lot of talk, especially around spring ball, on how we're going to spread the ball with these running backs. Like, what what's the run count should be for these guys, as, along with how many touches these wide receivers uh, should be getting. Ed Rogers says he <clears throat> has James Laurinaitis at number nine. I don't think that that's necessarily a bad place for him, and I'll explain why in just a little bit. But, Aaron, who's your number nine? I had Keenan Bailey there, and it's – honestly, he could have been 10th. My 9 and 10 were pretty much interchangeable for the same reasons, just unproven commodities. So I'm going to go Keenan Bailey. Um, again, he's a tight ends coach. I'm just – he hasn't really – I don't know that he's really done anything of note per se. So that's my reasoning. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I, me and Jr. are starting to sound a whole lot like you and I normally do on these lists, Eric, because right. I, I had the G-man there at uh, nine as well. But again, it was just an unproven commodity thing, I think, in my opinion. Uh, Would have easily, easily put, uh, could have easily put uh, Fry in there. Um, Jr., I'm going to tell you now, if you got Fry next, then we're in lockstep again. But okay. <laughs> you and me, buddy. Uh, number nine for me was uh, Keenan Keenan Bailey, and for a lot of the reasons you guys mentioned. Uh, but I do think Keenan Bailey. Do you think he's going to be the special teams coach, Jr.? Uh, no, it's going to be Matt Guerrier. Matt and James Lornaris will help some too. Oh, okay. So outside of doing tight ends, what else is he doing? That's it. Tight ends, and he's he's like a big recruiting piece for the offense too. Um, he takes on a lot of the stuff that like 
GAs and stuff would do. Not necessarily because the GAs can't do it, but because he was really, really good at it. And so they want him to kind of like mentor the current GAs and analysts and stuff like that. So he's the staff gopher is what you're telling us. Pretty much. Ed Rogers. Every staff needs it. So I'm not saying it's a bad role. Ed Rogers has got uh, James Laurinaitis at nine. Nick Quint's got Keenan Bailey at nine. And Derek has got James Laurinaitis. As much as I like the guy, James is unproven. And who has James recruited? Um, Well, he stole us a linebacker from Notre Dame. They're coming. Is what I'm hearing. I have no doubt. I am hearing that he is. He's doing well, and 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 Aaron and I, we've got. Well, um, we're going to be doing our border wars here coming up, and the number five recruit in the state of Ohio is Justin Hill. And that is a must-get for Ohio State. He is a linebacker slash defensive end from Cincinnati. He can run like the wind, and he hits hard. Um, almost kind of, almost kind of like a Troy Polamalu type of safety type of kid with with bigger size, and and um, <clears throat> James is all over him. Um, James is all over him. Yeah, I agree, Derek. To be determined, I, I agree with that, but I have confidence in James. Um, so that brings us to number eight, JR. My number eight was Justin Fry, simply because he was on my list of people that should have been fired at the end of the year. So <laughs> you don't get much lower than that because what he did in the uh, whatever bowl it was against those stupid Tigers or whoever they were, Mizzou, Missouri, whatever you want to call them. You cannot just switch two offensive linemen like that and it be going terribly. And, you know, people just say, oh, oopsie daisies, it happened. No, this is Ohio State. You don't let that happen. And if it does happen, you yank that guy out of there and you put the other guy right back in there. If there was kind of some suspension for Carson, uh, what's his hint? Heinzman, Hinsman, whatever. Uh, if there was something for him, you should have came out and told us because it all it does is make Justin Fry look look stupid for putting Matthew Jones at center, who didn't know the calls, who was, you know, everybody knew when the ball was going to be snapped because of the way he was putting his head up and down, up and down. Everybody knew, and Hero Canoe couldn't block air. So, yeah, uh, that's Fry. Nick Quint, you got to give me your reason why you have Tim Walton at number eight. I want to see what your reason for okay. that is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, number eight for you, Aaron. I'm going to go, and this is, I'm going James Laurinaitis. And it's just because, again, he has yet to do anything. It's no disrespect or nothing down on him. I'm on the to-be-determined train, but I'm trying to give him credit where credit's due. He had a heck of an NFL career, and who doesn't want to play for a guy that had the career that he had? He's also hot on the recruiting trail, so I'm sticking him at number eight for right now. Yeah, I, I've got uh, Justin Fry at eight. You know, like I said, uh, I he, he's not done a whole heck of a lot since he got to Ohio State to impress. I thought he should have been fired at the end of last season. Um, so I, I had him in at eight. Uh, at eight for me is the little animal, James Laurinaitis. Um, so I feel like... I feel like this is a good slot to slide him in to say this is maybe out of all the people I have on this list, the most potential I've given somebody. And 
you would think someone who's never been an assistant coach before should be 10, that he's an unproven commodity. But I have a lot of faith in James Laurinaitis. Um, So that's why I gave him eighth. And I would not be surprised if then when we do this, say, in 2025, he's not knocking on the door of being in the middle and hearing – I know Bobby Carpenter believes – I listen to him on the fan on my way to work every day. Bobby Carpenter believes James Laurinaitis is your future defensive coordinator at Ohio State. That's going to be the next D.C. after Jim Knowles retires. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, Chris Smith says Walton is recruiting better than anyone, including Heartline. At this moment, he's right. It's it's one a it's one one A and one B, right? Like I don't know yep. how you distinction between the two. They're both bringing in five star talent left and right. Um, Derek Dennis, number eight for him is Fry. O line was awful. Fryer isn't a tackle, and moving Hisman was an awful move. Exactly. That's why I have him at number ten. Um. Nick, Nick Quint, my mistake, though, then, Chris, I didn't know that. I re- retract my statement, just didn't know if all of his responsibilities are catching up with assistant head coach and secondary and cornerback coach. No problem, Nick. Um, whoever sent Tommy out against Michigan should be fired, Ed Rogers says. Ouch. Oof. Ed bringing some thunder there. He was not ready to play that game. He was still hurt. No, he was hurt still. Yeah. I, I think it was a lack of faith in what they had behind him. That they thought yeah. a a hurt Tommy was better than a healthy whatever at that point. Healthy uh, Cody, healthy CJ Hicks. Cody played, but yeah, I, I yeah. Okay, on to number seven, Jr. My number seven is James Laurinaitis, and one of the reasons why I have him higher is because I do think that like just and all these guys that I've had under him haven't really been recruiters and they have detractors but they don't really have anything with them that like stands out with what they've done james laurinitis has been like pseudo coaching the linebackers guys like tommy and um and Steele that i thought got better since he was here uh, even though he wasn't technically the linebacker coach we know he was working with them a lot and the other piece of it too is like i gave justin fry credit for being an o-line or a offensive coordinator i gave you know matt Guillier for being uh, a co-defensive coordinator. James Lornat has played in the National Football League for a really long time and was a team captain, leading tackler for the Rams, like all these things. I don't know if you get more accomplished than that. And I, I know not everybody says, you know, play translates to coaching, but I I think when you're that good on the field, it's got to translate somewhat. Yeah, I I agree with everything JR said, but my number seven is Justin Fry. And it's because of all the things JR said earlier about him. I, I mean, he, when he was at UCLA, he was an OC. They had a pretty solid season. Unfortunately, we haven't seen that really, I guess, manifest here in Columbus quite yet. They haven't been absolutely terrible, but they also haven't been anywhere near the standard we're used to seeing. So I'm trying to give him this last year, and then I'm I am done with Justin Fry. I would have liked to have seen him fired this year, but since he wasn't, we have to give him the benefit of the doubt for one more season because we have to. Here we are. That's that's my justification for him being at number seven. Well, I'll tell you, I've got the little animal at number seven. Um, I've got a lot of faith in this kid. I think he's going to be in the top five, or, or at least knocking on the door of five uh, when we t- do this next year, but... Uh, Right now, still unproven, but I think he's got a lot of irons in the fire. I think talent's coming. 
I think that we're going to see an intensity that we haven't seen in the linebacker room in a while. Uh, I'm very pumped to have this kid. So I've got him at seven. And by the way, Aaron, the only thing we have to do is die and pay taxes. We don't have to give anybody another chance. All right. And we don't even have to pay taxes if you're willing to do that time, I suppose. <laughs> I did mine today, by the way, if uh, any. Uh-oh. Amish Internet. Amish Internet. I did my taxes to anybody <laughs> no. that works for the IRS. No. I did them today. <laughs> Don't worry, Aaron. They didn't hear any of that. Neither do we. Excellent. <laughs> Derek Dennis says Guerrero is his number pay. seven. You are, if your track record is coaching at Indiana, they haven't been a powerhouse. He only coached there one year. His track record is coaching under Jim Knowles. He's followed Jim Knowles around. He's Jim Knowles' predecessor. Uh, and the Indiana defense actually improved this past year. So just – throwing that out there. I don't think anyone was brave enough to tell Tommy two thumbs. He wasn't going to play against TTU and said Brian Overs. That's a good point. That's possible. Yeah. yeah. Nick Quinn. I want to see a, a prove it year for James. He's been pr promoted and want to see what he's going to be do to repay the gratitude. Yes. All right. So interestingly enough, guys, we all had the same four from 10 through seven. Now we had different orders. And so because of that, Here's who we have uh, as a group at number 10. We have Keenan Bailey at number 10, Matt Guerrero at 9. We have Justin Fry at 8, and James Laurinaitis at 7 when you take the consensus of all of ours. Chris, you and I, we're just so smart. Dude. <clears throat> you know, yeah, great minds think alike, and, well, there's Eric and Aaron. Yeah. And one it's of okay. us you has done taxes, the other too. one has not. So, Boom! <laughs> <laughs> All right, number six, JR. All right, I'm going to do it, and I know people are going to be mad about it, and that's okay, but it's time for us to realize he's coming to the end of his career. We love who he was, and, and he's still very good, but Larry Johnson at number six. He's coming to the end of his career getting a little bit harder for him to recruit with all the negatives around him. And from everything I'm hearing, he's not exactly lockstep with Jim Knowles and he's kind of doing his own thing. And at the end of the day, <clears throat> I love Larry Johnson, but he's, he's six for me. Same. I actually went LJ as well. And it's, I, I'm not saying that he's necessarily lost a step, but maybe uh, he's starting to think about wrapping it up here, his career. So I'm going to stick with uh, LJ at six. You know, I kind of went, I went that same route, and my thought was this. We haven't seen true greatness out of that defensive line since Chase Young. That's true. We are really st Though we've had the five-star recruits there, we haven't seen them living up to, I think, what their full potential is consistently. And unfortunately, that's got to fall on Larry Johnson at this point. So... I went with Larry Johnson at six as well. Have we seen true greatness in the backfield since J.K. Dobbins? No. That's and that's, I'll tell you what, I had six and seven, or five and six, Eric. You're uh, I have Tony Alford at, yeah. at number six for me. Um, what did it for me that would push me over the edge there, though, Eric, was the fact that we did get Judkins coming this year. Yes. True, but I don't know how much of that was Tony Alford. I, I don't that, either, but the fact is, it's his I think room. that had more to do with the 1870 Society and the Foundation myself, but. 
I don't disagree completely, but it's his room, and we'll never know. So, All right, let's see what you guys have to say tonight uh, about this subject. Here we go. Frank, you guys are right on uh, with LJ. Isn't that crazy, though? If you would have said this two to three years ago, I'd call you nuts. Yeah. Uh, you know, something Fair. else. Did you guys know Larry Johnson's son's on the staff? Yes. The yes. I think I saw an article maybe about that, about him being hired. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. Brian Oberst, Larry Johnson has been great for a long time, but age might be catching up with him. Uh, Derek Vance uh, has Johnson at number six. My understanding is Noel's defense doesn't depend on getting pressure from the ends. Um, he uses a lot of, I would say, exotic looks yeah. from those hybrid defensive ends slash linebackers that he can move around to get pressure. He ran a lot of three-man fronts where that fourth defensive lineman could have been a linebacker and made a 3-3 a three, three front or could have been a defensive end and made a 4-2 four, four, front. And he moved them around. And with Larry Johnson, there's been none of that cowboy position <clears throat> because Larry Johnson wants four down linemen every play. Well, the other side to this, too, is, is on third down, we were going after the quarterback just about every time, okay? We still weren't getting home. So that yeah. – regardless of how you want to, you know, word this or describe this defense, we weren't getting there regardless. Nick Quint, how do you think LJ is going to do with his son as an analyst? Uh, I don't even I know don't if they'll know. cross paths. I don't think it matters. Yeah. I don't, don't think it does either. I, I, we'll have to dig into that a little bit more. Uh, hopefully someone from the media is smart enough to ask that question when they have access to LJ. Uh, Tony Alford could be on a tightrope, says Brian Oberst. Do you guys agree or disagree? It feels like he's been on a tightrope for a while. Because yeah. it's like he rec he recruits well every like two to three years, and then he yes. just does crap. And it's like, what, what is happening? Yeah, it, it's like he 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 has a, he goes every other cycle with good running backs, which yes, which is okay as long as they hit. And that makes league. sense if you think about it in a lot of it, ways to these kids. Yes, because they know they're going to have to sit a year if they come to Ohio State because they've got a great running back waiting in front of them. I, I can see that it lacking off a little bit every other cycle. But you know what? I think we take a big drop. That's the thing. I, I, it's not you're not dropping from a five star to the top of the four star list. We're, we're taking a hit. and We're going a little further down each time. Uh, bottom, so, I, bo yeah, real quick. Bottom of the fifth, USC two, Ohio State two. If I'm watching baseball over on my other computer screen, by the way, just give that a little update for you. I, I'm great. I'm nuts, aren't I? Also watched Ohio State hockey sweep the Badgers this weekend. Go Jr. Uh, I just real quick because I know we gotta go through the rest of the list. I I will t defend Tony Alford uh, to the point that he has remained bringing in good recruits. He brought in. Travion Henderson since J.K. Dobbins, who obviously very highly touted recruit. Uh, he brought in Dallin Hayden, who has been excellent the entire time he's been here. He's just had really good players in front of him. And uh, he, he just brought in James People, who was, you know, one of, if not the top recruit in Texas. Uh, so going down there, nabbing him. And also, too, I, I, I think Tony Alford gets some credit for like going five men deep at running back the past two years. Right. I mean, in 2022, yeah. we were running Xavier Johnson at running back sometimes. And, and he did all right. Year, he did uh, well. Yeah, 
I mean, Dallin Hayden, we had a serious conversation at some point about is Dallin Hayden good enough to be the starter for this team in 22? Dude, guys, that's the third string running back. Like, I I, I know the, the <clears throat> flash isn't there, but, like, you, you tell me Justin Fry is going to be on his third string guard and that guard is going to look just as good as the other one? Uh-uh, that's not going to happen. Well, uh, and JR, but, to that point, too, you, you talk about Hayden. I mean, this is a guy who ran for what? Was it almost 700 yards as a true freshman in limited action towards the end of the season yeah, because of injuries? 600, yeah. Or almost yeah. 600, yeah. I mean, he's yeah, got so, the talent. I, I, I'm not trying to say Tony Alford deserves to be higher because he's actually next on my list. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm just saying, like, I, I, I wouldn't throw him down there in the cellar with the other guys. All right, so, so I'm going to bet out. this goes Alford, 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 LJ. <laughs> I'll say I got Alfred in there. (laughs) It's exactly how I have it. Yeah. So all right. anything else on Tony Alfred at number five for you guys? I think we covered it. JR or uh, Chris, are you good? I'm good. All right. LJ at number at at number five for me. I believe this is going to be a good year for Jack Sawyer and JTT. So I'm, I'm leaning a little bit more towards Larry Johnson over Tony Alford, I think maybe taking full career look into that maybe is, is kind of how maybe I came up with that. But, yeah, I just haven't flipped from you guys. All right, so that means we're up to number four, JR. Number four, and it's kind of getting dicey here because all these guys are very, very good, exceptional. But uh, number four for me is Jim Knowles. And that's because some of Jim Knowles' decision-making, I think that he's done a fantastic job with the defense this past year. But even the year before that, it didn't feel like his decision-making with how much he was blitzing, leaving guys out on islands when we didn't have the secondary to be able to do that. And this past year, there were times when I felt like he should have blitzed J.J. McCarthy more, and he didn't. And so for me, there's just, like I said, all four of these guys are fantastic. It's just kind of nitpicking at this point. And for me, that's why I have Knowles at four. I got Chip Kelly at number four, and it's just because I like Jim Knowles, and I just, while I don't disagree with everything that JR said, there's some of it that I do. Now, Chip Kelly was a fantastic national championship caliber head coach at Oregon 10, 12 years ago, 13, 14 years ago at this point now that I think about it. Uh he does a remarkable job, I think, coaching offenses. So I think he's bringing a lot of value to the offensive side of the ball. Um, we'll talk about Jim Knowles when we get to him. I'm not going to give that away. But Chip Kelly is my number four. JR, I strayed from you here, man. Uh, I'm okay. going with Sarge. I got Chip Kelly in here. Chip Kelly, I think. Now, let me make this point. I think that Chip Kelly has the potential to be the most important member of the staff this year. That being said, I've got to see how he meshes, how he actually works with Ryan Day in this role. I've got to see how he does stepping out of that head coach position and going, taking that step back into a coordinator role. You know, we talked about Chip Kelly when we talked about his hire, uh, you know, what was it uh, six years in a row of top six offenses between his time as coordinator and head coach at Oregon and his time uh, at UCLA, you know, was he had a couple good years with some really bad talent. Um, I think Kelly has the potential to be the most important guy on here. 
I have to see recruiting out of Kelly. I have to see how he meshes with this group. That That's why I've got him at four. I have Chip Kelly at number four. I'm right there with oh you, Aaron gosh. and Chris. Um, I believe Chip Kelly can do it. Um, I think he's probably the most significant offseason hire by any program. I mean, we literally took a head coach from a Power 5 school who was building a winning program, and we got him to demote himself to play caller uh, and offensive coordinator. Um, that is significant. So I think I've got Chip Kelly at fourth, but I agree with you, Chris. I think he might be the most important assistant coach this season. If Ryan Day is truly handing over the playbook, if he's letting Chip Kelly actually run the offense, be the head coach of the offense, and if Ryan Day is going to focus on being a true CEO of this team, that he, he's going to turn out to be the biggest hire of the offseason. Chip at four is pretty spot on as, as well. We'll need to listen today and realize he's not running the show, said Brian Oberst. Derek Vance, Chip Kelly at Oregon, in no way, shape, or form had the weapons like he will have on this offense. You see what he did at Oregon with what he had there. And I can take you one step further than that, Derek, and I say look what he did at UCLA with pretty much a, a group of five roster. Yeah. And took him to a bowl game. So – um, I think Chip Kelly has a lot to do with that. Now, a lot of people are dogging Chip Kelly for basically how he left UCLA. Um, I heard that Ch at UCLA's NIL was under a mill. Wow. Six, six figures. for a, There's no way UCLA is going to be able <clears throat> to compete in the Big Ten if their NIL for, for their football team is no. under a mill. Now, I also know UCLA considers themselves a basketball school. Okay. UCLA is, is more comparable to Indiana than they are Ohio State. Okay, I get that. I understand that. But my goodness, you can't. And How take a look at where Indiana football is at right now, Eric. Exactly. Um, there's no way. There's no way Chip Kelly looked at that situation in UCLA and be like, yeah, this is exactly where I want to be. You, 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 it was an unobtainable situation, man. Really um, was. Yeah, Derek, UCLA didn't do poo in the NIL. They didn't. It's under it was under it was one of very few power five programs that was under a million in NIL this past year. All right, yeah. number three, JR. We need a hustle. <clears throat> I can't believe you guys made me be the highest on Chip Kelly after somebody who has been the lowest. <laughs> but my number three is Chip Kelly. And just because <clears throat> Chip Kelly has had the experience as a head coach. Uh, in both college and NFL, Chip Kelly has had the massive uh, experience, you know, year after year, having fantastic offenses, both in college and in the NFL. And so for me, uh, I think that puts him over Jim Knowles in my mind. I'm going with Jim Knowles. And while Jr. kind of touched on quite a bit of it, he could have been more aggressive at certain times, uh, certain games. I get it. You know what I mean? That's those are all fair. Those are all completely fair. But in year two, the turnaround from year one was incredibly impressive in my mind. Learning the players, getting them to understand their assignments, the development of the defense overall, developing a staff behind it that has been top-notch, L minus LJ to an extent. We discussed that a little bit earlier, but I like Jim Knowles, and I think that I think this defense still has plenty of room to grow, and I think he's going to get us there. 
Yeah, I have Knowles here as well. I think he's got tremendous, um, tremendous sense as a coach. I think he is, as Aaron said, lacks a little aggressiveness and seems like the last couple of years he's gone to the Ryan Day school of I poop my pants when the big game comes around. But, uh, you know, if they can get this together, uh, you know, I think Knowles is going to be a big reason why. Uh, I think he has the potential. We've seen him grow everywhere he's been. Once he gets into year two and three, uh, his teams have tremendous success. Um, so I've got Knowles in at number three as well. Number three for me is actually Tim Walton. Um, I can't put him over Brian Hartline yet because he hasn't done it as long as Brian Hartline. And I'll let you guys know why I have Jim Knowles ahead of Tim Walton when I get to that. So I've got Tim Walton at uh, at number three here for me. Because he's the boss, Eric. Because he's the boss. I'm shocked. He's the goat <laughs> is what they've been calling him. Yeah. Um, I, Let's not get I, carried I, away. Like I say, still crap in the bed in the big games, kind of like Ryan Day does. I blame that on his time in the Big 12. You talking about Jim Knowles? I am. Okay. You know, the guy whose defensive backs fall on their butts when they're trying to cover Michigan receivers? Yeah, yeah, that was completely Jim Knowles' fault, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Hey, when you, when you wear that hat, man, you got to take responsibility for it. Number two, JR. Are we at number two? Yeah, number two. Yeah, number two. Yeah, you're going to hate this, Eric, and that's okay. And I think that everybody else will probably have him at number one, and I get it, but Brian Hartline. Brian Hartline's my number two for the sole reason that we would have so much more of a dynamic running game if our wide receivers would just block, if they would just block. And it's so infuriating when people get on the broadcast and say, oh, yeah, you got to block if you're going to be a wide receiver for Ryan or Brian Hartline. No, you don't. You come in from South Florida and you go run some routes, you catch some balls, and you're speedy, which is fantastic. That's what you want your wide receivers to do. But even in that Mizzou game, there were runs where Trey would have took it to the house if the guys were blocking, and they weren't. So, Brian Hartline, you need to get your guys in order and make them block. And they don't yeah. rotate. That's the other yeah, one. Sorry. I was, I was going to say, I, I actually agree. Brian Hartline at number two for me. And it's because they don't finish their blocks. Sometimes they don't even initiate them. They just kind of stand in their way. Sometimes that's enough. Most times it is not. The other problem that I saw, and I saw it in the Michigan game, and I saw it in the bowl game, or not the bowl game, but mainly the Michigan game, and then there was maybe a couple other times throughout the season I saw it out of Marvin Harrison, but he didn't come back for the – he doesn't fight for those balls. Yes. There was an interception early in the Michigan game that should not have been an interception if Marvin yeah. had fought for the ball. Sometimes as a wide receiver, you have to play defense a little bit. He didn't do that. He said, hey, I'm here to catch the ball. I don't play defense. How far yeah. is that going to get you in the NFL, bud? Even if it means taking a penalty, you get yourself in there and you break up that interception. Your job, first and foremost, routes, catching the ball. Your second job, not letting the defense catch the ball at whatever cost, like Chris was saying. Marvin didn't do that. And I've seen other receivers do the same. Yeah, guys, I actually agree with the two of you. I've got Heartline at 1B as well. Uh, you know, I just feel like I think he's a tremendous recruiter and we give him a lot of credit for that. Um, I think that we saw a failed experiment as a play caller in the second half of that Indiana game. Clearly somebody that Ryan Day does not have confidence in yet as a play caller. 
Uh, he does develop his receivers well as far as their catching ability goes. But like you said, there's the little intangibles, the blocking, the, the sometimes becoming a defensive player where I think our receivers lack. Um, so I've got him at the, uh, we'll, we'll call it two, but I think it's still a 1B position. Brian Hartline, number two for me as well, which means number one, JR, for you is? Tim Walton. Goaded, baby. Goaded. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I just, you give that uh, everything that improved this year. I put so much of that on the secondary and the recruiting this year and everything. Uh, I just, I don't, Tim Walton's mine. I know I can <clears> probably <throat> have reasons for other people in front of him, but I, I love me some Walton right now. If Tim Walton were to lose these two top recruits that he has for the 2025 class, would that change your mind? Well, yeah. I mean, but if Brian Hartline lost the two guys last year, probably changed my mind about him too. <laughs> okay. Fair assessment. Yeah, I'm going Tim Walton as well. And it's just because the coaching. Look at the coaching. The recruiting is, is a secondary part of this. But the difference in the secondary play from the year before last up until this point has been drastically better. I, I just I can't speak on that enough. And then you throw in recruiting on top of it, and I have to give him that spot. Have to. Yeah, the recruiting's been really good. The uh, obviously going out, bringing in Caleb Downs was huge, huge. Can't say enough about that and the impact that's going to have on the defense this year. And let's not forget the defensive backs that came back to play. Come on, Denzel was a guaranteed first-round pick. He came back to play in this defense for Tim Walton and and, and for Jim Knowles. And some money. <clears throat> and a lot of money, and no doubt that's, about it. But you know I hope what? He, I just hope he did his taxes. That's that's all. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, obviously, like Aaron said, the defensive back play last year was phenomenal. Uh, the intensity has gone up, you know, tenfold since that guy's been in the locker room. Uh, so I really think, yeah, he's he's uh, got to be number one for me. Number one for me is actually Jim Knowles. Okay. And yeah, I know, I know that that's my, different than what you guys have, but can I just remind you guys of where this defense was two years ago? Please don't. Oh, it's it's sucked the under Terry Combs, no doubt about it. But the what defense, defense? He was coaching last year or two years ago was was the same one he was coaching there, right? No, two years ago, before he arrived as defensive okay. coordinator. Kerry Combs. Kerry Combs. Combs. The defense before that, too, right? Well, what do you mean? The, the defense before this past year. That was Jim Knowles, too, right? Yeah, 2022? Yeah, when they gave up 40-plus yeah. points to Michigan and basically lost us the game against Georgia. Oh, my gosh. Guys, there were so many things beyond that, Okay. So many things beyond that. Oh, here it comes. Let's, let's hear right. sympathize. Georgia was all because Marvin Harrison went down. No, it wasn't, but that was a part of it, yeah. To deny it was a part of that is, is crazy. To deny what, what Ryan Day didn't do offensively <clears throat> on that last you job got that was not right. Jim Knowles' fault. You got that right. You cannot put that entire loss on Jim Knowles. I think... Where we are at defensively, the silver bullets are back, boys. They're back. Accept it. Embrace it. And Jim Knowles is a freaking I think he's I think he's the best defensive coordinator we've had since probably who? I 
I mean, I've been racking my brain trying to think. Halfley. You go back under Tress, probably. Halfley. Yeah, I think so. I think Halfley, I think Halfley was pretty solid. That was a good oh, defense, that, man. Yeah, for he one season, he was the co-defensive coordinator. But didn't know Co-defensive Harrison Co-defensive coordinator for one year. Not really. Not enough. Five stars on the different, defensive different end. Different level, Burke, brother. who was a Dif- star in freshman year. JR, no offense, Wilson, but you and I could have been. started as a freshman as, J- as in the JR, SEC. Like, JR, I, you and I could have been the defensive line coach when Chase Young was was on the line, dude. Go the Bosa's. See quarterback, go get quarterback. Okay? Like, I'll that give you that. Take, yes. It didn't take some kind of – Jim Knowles has had to do some scheming. And working around some things the last couple of years. And I think he's done a pretty doggone good job. Now, I'm not saying our defense has been, you know, putrid as far as talent. It's not been. But I do believe Jim Knowles has brought out – he's brought out a better play in this defense than what we have seen, gosh, in a long time at Ohio State. And if if this defense is what we all think it can be in 2024 – there is no reason to believe that we aren't national championship caliber team this year if the offense can just put up enough points in those big games. Um, let's look at what we got here. Derek Vance, great depth at quarterback two. Uh, Brian Oberst, Chris, how many more TTUN players do you want to join our team? <laughs> I poking the bear there. If Marvin doesn't get injured, we win against Georgia by at least 10. Maybe. Um, Taraka yeah. Fickle Ash combo was solid. It was. Yeah, it was solid. Yeah, I agree with that. Right. But it wasn't like this. I, I no. think this is even better. Yeah. Um, but Knowles is doing it by himself. Um, is yeah. he though? As defensive coordinator, yeah, he has no. Dude, that's he, a staff by itself. Yeah. But that, that's my he's... thing. Is like you, as I see you think Tim everybody Walton giving Knowles credit, but like I give so much more credit to Tim Walton than I think other people are which is fine like i get that but man i'm giving a lot of credit to tim walton in my mind for for yeah you take tim walton out of there and we got uh, a kerry combs uh defensive backfield that's leaking like a sieve 20 dollar holla we got a 20 dollar super chat from chris smith chris says loving this conversation bottom line is we have some talented coaches and some that have and some that have something to prove Great show, fellas. Chris Smith, thank you very thank you. much. And because of that $20 holler, OH! Oh! Awesome. <laughs> uh, Frank says, uh, to clarify, he met scheme wise. I agree. Yes. I agree with you, Frank, uh, on yeah. that. JR, I know you've got your show. What are you talking about tonight, real fast? Oh, we're going to talk about the Buckeyes win. We're going to talk about. <laughs> heck, uh, heck yeah, we are. Talk a little yeah, bit about Caitlin Clark to check that tonight. Out. Ooh, yeah. Caitlin Clark, the Iowa player, broke yeah. the all-time scoring record. Did you see that? Gra- how, or, did, uh, what were you going to say? Sorry. Did you see that graphic where it showed every shot she made? Yes, that was that awesome. That was awesome. We're going to talk about Jay Williams and how much of a doofus he is for saying that Caitlin Clark isn't great because she has to win the natty. But I'm sure in his past he said guys are, you know, other guys are great who haven't won the natty, which whatever. I don't care. Uh, but we're we're gonna make sure we expose him and talk about how stupid he is, uh, and then you know we'll just talk about the rest of the games and have some fun with it. And uh, most of all, I hope Dylan joins. <laughs> we'll see you in just Same. a few minutes, Jr. We're gonna take a quick commercial break. When we come back. We're gonna talk about Gene Smith. Everybody, hang tight. 
The OHIO Podcast is brought to you by Mastermind. Mastermind specializes in 360-degree high-definition mobile video mapping, GIS integration, and traffic safety studies. Mastermind cares about traffic safety and keeping you safe on the roadway. Visit Mastermind at OnlineMastermind.com. Let me finish off the, some of this discussion we just had because this is an interesting comment. I agree with you, Brian. Tim Walton makes Knowles a better defensive coordinator. That would be true for whatever defensive coordinator you're talking about. Tim Walton would make that person a better defensive coordinator. Tim Walton is definitely the GOAT currently when it comes to recruiting and cornerback development. Um, but he is not He is not the uh, linebackers coach, and he is not the defensive line coach. While I believe when you look at the breakdown of his importance, Jim Knowles is overseeing everything on that defense. Um, so to break it down for you guys, at number 10, we had Keenan Bailey. This is, a, this is an average of everything taken into account. Number 10, we had uh, Keenan Bailey. Number 9, Matt Guerrero. Number 8, Justin Fry. Number 7, James Laurinaitis. Number six, Larry Johnson. Number five, Tony Alford. Number four, Chip Kelly. Number three, Jim Knowles. Number two, Brian Hartline. And number one, Tim Walton. That is the average that we have on the OHIO podcast for uh, 10 through one in the Ryan Day's assistant coaches. Fun little make, fun, fun little make game. Make sure to tweet that out to Tim Walton. We'll get some recognition for that one. Yeah, Tim Walton, uh, he reposted a. Uh, liked and then shared a tweet of mine. So Tim Walton is fan. He's a fan of our program. How cool is that? Um, also, before we get into our next topic here, um, I want to remind everybody that on the 29th, we will be doing the OHIO podcast call-in show. Looking forward to that. That'll be Thursday, the 29th. That is a week from this upcoming Thursday. Uh, if you haven't already, guys, please like, give us a thumbs up. Again, Chris Smith, thank you so much for the super chat. Four minutes ago, he dropped a $20 bill on our lap for uh, and thanking us for the great conversation we just had. Any of you who are also watching on YouTube can do the same thing. If you're on Facebook, you can do it as well through giving stars, although I haven't quite figured that out yet, Chris. Still, still trying to figure that whole thing out. Facebook is not nearly as easy as YouTube. If you like the boggin I got on, I got two left. $20 is all it would take. If you want this, want a toboggan like I'm wearing, let me know in the chat that, hey, I want one, and uh, we can make sure that get you uh, our information so that you can send me $20 on Venmo, and we'll send uh, send you a toboggan. Yes, Chris. Hey, but Eric, it's going to be easy soon. Very soon. They're going to be able to go right to the OHIO podcast website and be able to go onto our online store. That's right. And get the toboggan, the t-shirts, everything. Maybe we can give an, even get a t-shirt with Aaron's head made on it. Yeah. There you go. I don't know. I don't. I don't, I don't know about that either. I don't know if the world <laughs> could handle that. I don't know. We do have t-shirts coming. Uh, we have a new membership program that'll be starting. So we will. We will. When that launches, we will let you all know how you can get your official member t-shirt of the Ohio Podcast. Um, also, we will also let you know when the website launches. We are very, very, uh, very close. Uh, the second iteration of that website dropped this week. I showed Chris. He was super impressed with awesome. how it looks. It looks really nice, so can't wait uh, to let you all know when that is going to drop. Well, all right. You look like we've graduated from uncultured swine, Eric. 
We have. Yeah, we're moving up in the world. All right. So this week, Chris Holtman was fired. Now, we normally don't talk about basketball on this this show, and this is not a basketball conversation. This is a Gene Smith conversation. Uh, during the press conference after Chris Holtman was fired, Gene Smith held a press conference where he explained the firing. And one Steve Hellwagon from 247 Sports, Bucknuts, asked a question of him. I'm going to play an audio clip of that question in Gene Smith's response. It takes about two minutes, a two-minute clip. And then we're going to break down why Gene Smith is a total butthole in his response and why uh, if I was a part of the uh, member of the media there, I probably would have been kicked out of this press conference because I would have followed it up with why are you lying. So here we go. Let's – Play this for all of you, and then Chris is going to probably lose his mind. So here we go. If I can also ask, 19 years you've been here, so many great ups, downs, many great things that have great accomplishments. As you bring in Ross and welcome him to this community and everything that goes with it, what are the recommendations that you're going to make to Ross about what can be done to improve the fan experience? the overall environment, and getting people to come back to the Schottenstein Center to watch Ohio State men's basketball. It just died on the vine in the last three years. What can you do? What can you recommend to him so in your mind that needs to be done? Yeah, it's so funny. I mean, you guys are opinion makers. Um, to say that it died on the vine. Lowest attendance you've ever had. Yeah, but it's still 8,000. I mean, we can debate that all we want to, but at the end of the day, is this is 8,000 uh, fans at the last game that we won. So the facts are this. Um, we have to have expectations consistent with reality. There's going to be games throughout the year where you're going to only have eight or ten. You guys seem to forget that conversation from like ten years ago. The reality is that's going to happen. It happened during Thad Mata's years. Go back and look at the numbers. There were eight and 10,000 fans periodically throughout the season. However, to your point, there's got to be six, seven, or eight games where we're close to that sellout or at the sellout. Um, we haven't had that, to your point. That's really what you're talking about. It hadn't died on the vine. At the end of the day, uh, we need to get better. We need to win. And my advice to Ross is simple. Product, place, price. That's marketing. You got to win. You got to So here's the thing. Uh, Gene Smith is a first-class asshat. There's no other way to put it. The guy's an idiot. Uh, <laughs> the guy comes out and goes on the attack with Hellwagon because Hellwagon asks him a legitimate question about why attendance is bombing. Okay, yeah, I understand you're going to have some games with only eight to 10,000 people, but there have been games where we've had fewer than that. And we are not getting 8,000 to 10,000 people at every game. Yeah, we've got a few where we've had more than that. But I would like to see, and I was trying to look it up, what our average attendance is currently. Uh, it looks like, um, I, I, well, I don't have it up here. I, I thought I did, but I do not have it up here. I pulled up last year's. Um, which, which wasn't great either. No, but we are averaging fewer than 10,000 
per game. Mm-hmm. That's and- just not acceptable. It's a we are putting a bad product on the floor, a product that, in all by all rights, Gene Smith is responsible for that product having kept Holtman on. But that's beside the point. The fact is, he attacked a legitimate journalist who asked a legitimate question, and he didn't attack Gene Smith with the question. He said, what is your advice moving forward for the guy coming in? He didn't say, hey, why, why, you know, you're off base because of this. You're off base. No, he attacked Hellwagon because he asked a legitimate question. And by answering the question, Gene Smith was going to have to take responsibility. And if there's one thing we've seen throughout his career, Gene Smith is not going to take responsibility for anything. It's it's just, I am going to be so glad when this guy is gone. And people will say, oh, well, he, he did this, he did that. The fact is, this is the guy who's cost us a national championship in football, who has really let Holtman's tenure go on farther than it should have and, and possibly hurt the basketball program, and then who can't take responsibility for anything or anyone. I'm going to be glad he's gone. I'll just leave it at that. Aaron, I know you're not a basketball fan, but do you have any response to Gene Smith? He is the athletic director of a football program as well. Right. Yeah, I I mean, I agree with a lot of what Chris said, and I'll be be straight up with you. You guys know this, and any of our listeners, our longtime listeners, know I am not the guy to come to on these type of topics. However, I do know this much. Winning fixes everything, and if you're an athletic director that doesn't support that, it's time to go, and it seems like he's not exactly uh, on the accountability list here, so time for somebody new. And he's coming in the form of Bjork, um, the new athletic director coming from Texas A&M. Yep. Um, I think one of the problems with Gene Smith that Gene Smith inherited Gene Smith inherited a terrible basketball arena. The, 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 the Schottenstein Center, Value City Arena, whatever you want to call it, is a concert venue. It is not a basketball Send arena. Send it back to St. John. St. John's Arena was a basketball venue. Okay? Now... <clears throat> The other problem is, is Gene Smith was not here, nor was he a fan, nor did he have any background of Ohio State basketball when the team was good. Um, now, when uh, the previous coach was in his heyday making a run uh, with the kids from Indiana in 06. Hey, guys, what's happening here? I don't know, Chris. We're still talking. Um, <laughs> oh, I lost uh, you both. Well, we lost you. So, anyways, uh, when the head coach, uh, Chris, who was that? It was the previous head coach before Holtman. Gosh, I can't even remember his name now. Thad Mata. Mata. Thad Mata. Thank you. Over at Butler. Gosh. Having a What's a matter? Just kidding. What's a matter, Thad Mata? <laughs> um, it's 06 when they had, the, they, had the, they had the national championship run where they got all the way to the national championship game. I think Gene Smith <laughs> expected that to be how it that became the expectations, unfortunately, for the basketball program. But if you go beyond just 
the issues there, the Value City Arena, uh, the uh, success that Thad Mata had that then fell apart. His handling of situations in the football program has not been great. He's cost us a national championship uh, through his own sanctions that he put on the program. 2012 should have been a national championship year. We would have played Notre Dame instead of Alabama playing Notre Dame in, in 2012, and we would have smoked them. Oh, yeah. Um, so he cost us a national championship. I think his handling of the Urban Meyer situation was ridiculous. It's terrible. I, I also know that he got suspended as, along with Urban Meyer. He suspended himself for that as well. Um, but Gene Smith, I will never forgive Gene Smith for allowing Jim Tressel to fall on the sword for him. That was garbage. I and go back to He never that, takes responsibility. That's what I was saying earlier about the whole accountability list. He, re, he, he keeps himself off of it and he makes sure of it. And I can't stand it. So given the scenario in closing here between Steve Hellwagon and, and, um, Gene Smith. I would say this. Steve Hellwagon was not trying to create a narrative by saying the no. basketball program had died on the vine. What he was trying to say was that the excitement around this basketball team is missing. It has not been here since the middle of the Thad Mata era before it started that era started to die. Um if you remember the Jimmy Jackson era oh, at Ohio yes. State in the 90s, we haven't had anything close to that other than 2006. And it, you talk to the old timers when Ohio State was good back in the, in the 60s and 70s and early 80s. The basketball program was just as exciting as the football program was. They won a national championship. They, had, they went to Final Fours. There's no reason to, given the talent in the state of Ohio in high school basketball, given – the financial backing and this giant fan base and the and the the boosters and and the the backing financially from uh, those NIL collectives that we should not field a basketball team in the Big Ten that competes for Big Ten championships and makes runs in the Final Four. No reason at all. And the fact that Gene Smith gave Chris Holtman a contract extension two years ago with, without deserving one at all shows, in my opinion, that Gene Smith sometimes didn't make the best decisions and held our athletic department and our programs back. Now, he wants to claim all the success for all these other programs. Women's hockey. Fantastic, right? Synchronized swimming. How many national championships in a row? Okay. Fencing. Pistol. Uh, all these other programs. But how many butts does that put in the seat? How much money does that bring the university? How Zero. many? How, how much is that going to help any other athletic program? You have one and a half sports that are actually supporting the programs that you're talking about. I mean, come on. Oh, and by the way, you guys ready for a real kicker here? I think somebody over at the uh, in the athletic department's been cooking some numbers because according to Ohio State's official site, they average eleven thousand two hundred and ninety a game. <laughs> no way. That may be the number of tickets sold, but that is not the amount of people showing up to the uh, to the. To There's the games. no 
way. No way. Um, today no. was a great day for Ohio State basketball. It was. And it could be the, the first step in the right direction moving forward. And I'm excited about that because I'm an Ohio State basketball fan. I love basketball. I played it. I coached it. Uh, I understand it much better than football. And I can't tell you how many times I was pulling my hair out with Chris Holtman's unimaginable, lazy offense, philo- offensive philosophy. Did you not watch Jake Diebler coach today? The level of excitement. Yes. And the dude was drenched in sweat on the sideline. Um, and the players responded to him in the level of coaching he was doing. And the fact that Gene Smith couldn't see that makes me question how much he truly knows about athletics. He said it himself. It's all about winning. I want, I would push back. And here's what I would say. If I was Steve Hellwagner, if I was in there, here's my response to that. When I got the question, Gene, if you say it's all about winning, then why are you concentrating so much on all of the other things like buildings? I know it takes – that's an important part of winning. I understand that. But, again, Ohio State was two years behind the SEC in NIL. When yeah. NIL became a thing, we dragged our feet. Why? That was Gene Smith. Hmm. That was Gene Smith that did that. He was the man in charge of that. How many times did Ryan Day have to go to the podium and say, we need $13 million to keep our players here at Ohio State to be competitive? Multiple times he did that. Gene Smith, as athletic director, should have been on the phone with these collectives, getting them squared away. Now, thankfully, we are right now. But I don't know if Gene Smith has anything to do with that. I would be surprised to find out he had nothing to do with that. Brian Ober says Jake Diebler might find his way into the job if the team finishes strong. I agree. He did give him uh, a hug after the win. Yeah, he did because it, it took the <laughs> – Took, took a lot of the pressure off of Gene going out right now. <laughs> Made him look good. Yeah, it did. So, yeah, that was a thank you hug is what that was. Chris, any last <laughs> final thoughts on Gene Smith and Steve Hellwagon? By the way, I want to commend Steve Hellwagon. If Steve ends up watching this or Total hearing professional. about this, Steve Hellwagon, you, that was a great question. You handled it professionally, and I, I commend you for having the yes. guts to ask the question instead of all the softball questions those of at the at the dis, dis, dispatch were asking and some of these other media they just they have no guts to ask a tough question and I commend you for asking the tough question and I believe Gene Smith owes you a personal and public apology for how he responded to your legitimate fair question that's my two cents and you're absolutely right, Eric. 100% right on that. Uh, you know, Gene Smith, this university is going to be much better off once he is gone. Um, you know, Nick Quint over in the chat had mentioned it. He's at the front and center when the good's happening and hiding in the shadows when the bad might reflect poorly upon him. That's 100% on point, Nick Quint. And this university is going to be better when he is gone. Couldn't have said it better myself, guys. I am completely on board. We'll be Columbus will be better off without him. Can't wait for the Bjork uh, era to begin. 
Please like if you haven't already. Hit that thumbs up. We appreciate this. If you're watching this and you, uh, after the fact and you've made it this far, again, we commend you. Please like, share. If you haven't already, please subscribe. That really does help the channel add as, out as well. As we continue to grow, we will have more um, more uh, videos for you this week. Uh, Aaron was down and out with sickness. We're glad he's back and feeling better tonight. Thank you. Uh, ho hopefully I don't get the Rona. My wife's got it currently, but that means I'm probably on deck to get it, and which means Chris is in the hole because he'll get it for the 19th time. Just <laughs> 30 seconds. Through the internet. He'll get it. 30 second time. <laughs> Oh, Nick Quint, what do you think of the hockey game next year at the Shoe? What do you think of the, the hockey Blue Jackets game are playing at the Shoe? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the outdoor um, game. Yeah, here's here's my response to that. This is another Gene Smith thing. If we can play a freaking hockey game in the winter, but we can't play a, a football game at the Shoe in the playoffs in the winter because it's not winterized, Gene Smith, get out of here with that stuff. Right. That's what I think about it. I'm excited for it, Nick. I think it's cool. Um, anything else, guys, before we head out of here? That's all I got. Be kind to one I'm another. Good. I owe someone's OH St. Carmen Ohio with all your heart. Yes, Chris. No, I said I'm good. Until next time. OH! I owe. I owe. Go Bucks.